Welcome to Hope from the Front Lines. Each week, we peek beyond the headlines, finding stories of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color doing the heavy lift, protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. You look back at it and the saying was, we're all in this thing together, but in the month of March, and I would say halfway through April, it was every man for itself. Nearly six months into this pandemic, hospitals across the United States still struggle to keep up with rising admissions of patients with COVID-19. While Chicagoland has yet to see a flattening of the curve, most hospitals here have resumed elective surgeries and some are allowing visitors again. Northwestern Memorial Hospital, located in the city center, was one of the first to do both. It received a large Federal CARES Act grant to keep its operations going. Its commitment to getting back on track, however, may have been at the expense of its support staff. Behind the doctors and nurses are frontline workers who risk their own and their families' well-being while having to fight for proper PPE, hazard pay, their pensions, and respect. I'm Judith McCrae with Divided We Stand. Okay, I'm looking on his ammo right now. This is sister pulling linen, trash, um, making sure that everything is wiped down and still. Ever since this pandemic has hit, it's been one slap in the face after another. We are not getting the recognition that we deserve. That's Marcus Buell. He works second shift as a housekeeper specialist at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. He's been there 10 years. He says he likes his work and takes pride in the areas he's responsible for. Pathology, physical and occupational therapy, neurology, and about 20 doctor's offices. He pulls trash, dust, mops, and sanitizes each room. When the pandemic hit, he and his coworkers responded like a team. Everybody stepped up and we were doing frontline work in regards to something that no one knew anything about. We were listening to what the CDC said, and they said you should mask up, wear the proper PPE, hand wash, and all of that, which with the hand washing is no problem. Getting PPE coming out the gate was a problem. Housekeepers couldn't get the proper PPE in certain areas where the COVID was existing. And I emphasize on proper PPE in situations where a person should have had an N95 mask. They were just given a regular mask, which was not what the CDC guidelines was recommending. And it really blew up. There were a lot of people that showed up for work every day, and they weren't properly recognized. Let's go back a few months. In March, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker issued a disaster proclamation and stay-at-home order for all but essential health care, food distribution, and emergency care workers. Bars, restaurants, and stores were closed. Schools moved to remote learning, and visitors were not allowed at nursing homes and hospitals. The March 21st stay-at-home order was meant to delay the rapid spread of the coronavirus, keeping hospitals from being overrun and giving them time to gather enough protective gear, called PPE, for its staff. 
testing, and contact tracing were supposed to have been set up and made available during the shutdown. But while most Chicagoans stayed home, testing sites and contact tracing were not widely available. PPE was either in short supply or unevenly distributed at healthcare facilities during those first critical weeks. Marcus says Northwestern did not provide proper PPE to most of the support staff until mid-April. He's a member of SEIU Healthcare, a union local affiliated with the Service Employees International Union, a union of over 2 million members across the U.S. and Canada. Marcus says the PPE improved only after the union pushed. PPE got a little better through demands and protests and ranting and raving to management about it and exposing them for what they were really doing. But even all the way, we didn't receive the total package that we should have received. And that would be like PPE to cover your eyes, whether it be goggles or, or, or those shields that you put over your face. There are some uh, members that are working there right now that still don't have that. And getting hazard pay was another fight. Remember, on March 21st, Governor Pritzker issued stay-at-home orders for all but essential care workers. Additional hourly pay was supposed to go to those workers risking their health and safety to care for others. Kim Smith is a patient care technician at the hospital and a union steward with SEIU Healthcare. She says that didn't happen. We approached HR about hazard pay. I reached out to our CEO, Dean Harris, personally. And no, they did not just offer us any type of incentive pay or anything. The reason? Use of the phrase hazard pay. We use it because we, as healthcare providers, are thinking of the virus in the sense of it being a hazard to a person's health. And what the hospital did was they came back being contradictory, saying patients aren't hazard. That was where the argument began because we never said that a patient was a hazard. We never insinuated that at any point. What we said was that we felt we were entitled to hazard pay because, again, the virus was hazardous to everyone's health. When we received it, finally, after fighting and standing outside, they want to call it incentive pay. And that's fine. Kim says union employees held actions and rallies in front of the hospital after their shifts and contacted county and state elected officials to support their plea. People were saying, it's going to look crazy to the public that you guys are fighting for more money and people are sick. No, what we're fighting for is some type of incentive to ensure people are getting what they need to cover themselves and their families because now a lot of people have become the sole provider. And then to cover people when they got sick because our hospital wouldn't even agree to give us short-term disability during this time. And they already offer short-term disability to non-union employees, but they don't offer it to us as union employees. The pickets and political push worked. Union employees received hazard pay, called special differential pay, in mid-April, retroactive to mid-March. Employees received an additional $5 an hour if they worked on a unit that had 25% of patients with COVID-19. All others received $3 an hour more. They also won the right to workers' compensation if they got the virus while on the job. 
This only after Governor Pritzker announced and then signed House Bill 2455, providing workers' comp benefits for frontline and essential workers. Previously, employers had forced workers to prove they'd contracted the virus from a patient, insisting that they identified that patient. Until J.B. Pritzker, our governor, specifically stated that if we as health care providers, no matter what our role was, came back positive that we were therefore entitled to workers' compensation, they were not giving us anything. Northwestern Memorial Hospital declined to respond to questions about its handling of PPE or hazard pay. By May 1st, Illinois and Chicago moved into phase two of pandemic measures. Six weeks into the stay-at-home orders, the curve flattened somewhat and some outdoor activities were allowed. At the end of the month, rates of infection were declining. We moved into phase three, and manufacturing, offices, retail shops, barber shops, and beauty salons reopened. Northwestern Memorial Hospital resumed elective surgeries. Then all of a sudden, we got an email about elective procedures starting up. I'm like, elective procedures starting up in May. Instead of them ensuring that we, as the workers, as the staff, had readily available testing done, what they did was they said that if people were coming in for an elective procedure, they had to be tested before the procedure to ensure the safety of everyone. Kim says the hospital had resisted mass testing its workers, saying they didn't have enough tests. I found that very amusing because that meant that you were saying that there was a mass shortage of tests, but you're using them the way you want to use them. So you don't care about us as workers, but you're trying to give off that persona by saying that you're testing the patient before they come in. And my thing is, the same way you wanted those patients to be safe so that they wouldn't expose someone in the OR, Let's make sure that the scrub tech in there is safe. The person who did the sterile processing, that they're safe. Everybody involved, the EVS person, they didn't make that happen. Now we've got patients coming in, so then the visitor policy is changing. So now is when they start talking about the money that they lost during COVID. Northwestern Memorial Hospital reported a loss of $63 million in revenue in March, April, and May according to its unaudited financial records as reported by the Becker Hospital Review in July. They attributed this third-quarter loss to a nearly 24% decline in patient services. At the same time, the hospital received $187 million from the Federal Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, known as the CARES Act. And, Kim says, the hospital intends to move forward with its plan to build a new office building in suburban Bloomingdale for almost $30 million. If you're going to build a $29.9 million office building and my CEO makes over $5 billion, why is it that you're cutting the hazard pay as if the pandemic has ended but people are still getting sick? Again, the hospital declined to comment. But in a June 4th memo to all employees... CEO Dean Harrison states that special differential pay, or hazard pay, would end after June 13th. He also wrote, quote, that our current level of expenditures is not sustainable if our revenue does not return to pre-COVID-19 levels. Therefore, we are taking the following measures now to help mitigate the financial impacts of the pandemic, end quote. 
Those measures include a freeze on wage increases and elimination of employer matching contributions to employee 401k pension plans, effective July 12th. Why are you stopping our 401k contributions and we don't even have a pension to retire to? Why are you doing negative things to impact the workers? This group started near Michigan and Madison this afternoon before taking to the streets, at one point stopping traffic on Lakeshore Drive. On May 30th, the streets of Chicago and throughout the U.S. exploded with mass protests over the police murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. As the crowd of demonstrators grew and marched through the Loop and River North areas, the bridges over the Chicago River were raised to prevent demonstrators from entering or leaving the area. At 8.30 that night, Mayor Lori Lightfoot declared a curfew and the city's public transportation system shut down. Trapped were many demonstrators and hospital employees who couldn't get into work or out of the city center for home. When those bridges got raised, it then prohibited people from getting inside the inner city. And it wasn't just everybody. Predominantly black and brown people. So when you use mass transit to get to work, because that's how our city functions, and you stop that, you cripple the city, but you also cripple the people. So people who stay on the south side, people who stay on the west side, that are black and brown and of lower economic status, we had no way to get inside the city. It didn't allow us to go through it all, no passage. We could only go so far. Michigan and bridges were up everywhere. It was just hard to get around. That's Althea Lloyd. She's also a patient care technician. She works second shift and lives on the city's south side. She had to use Uber to get to work during the following week since CTA trains in and out of the loop were shut down. Northwestern did provide a shuttle bus service from the hospital to 47th Street and the Dan Ryan Expressway between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. But that location and the hours didn't mesh with Althea's schedule. I had to find a way to get to 47th and Dan Ryan to get to that shuttle and then get to work. But the problem was getting home. Same thing for third shift. There was no way for them to get to work but there was a way for them to get to get back home. And I called the helpline from Northwestern and inquired about it. They told me they would get back to me, and they never did. Althea paid out-of-pocket for Uber rides, costing $50. While Northwestern did provide her with a hotel room near the hospital for the last two days of the curfew, to date, she has not been fully reimbursed for the Uber fares. I love what I do there. I love my patients. I give them faith within themselves and try to comfort them. I just want Northwestern to do much better than what they're doing. You have a lot of good workers there. You need to start appreciating them. By July, COVID-19 infection rates started climbing again. According to Washington Post data, COVID-19-related hospitalizations across the U.S. rose from just over 36,000 on July 1st to almost 53,000 by July 31st. Elected and public health officials in Illinois warned that we may soon see a spike in cases and need to return to one of the earlier phases of limited interactions and business activity. Marcus Buell sees these conditions as a call to action. We know what the conditions are. Obviously, they aren't going anywhere anytime soon. We want to stay knowledgeable as far as what's going on because this is serious. It's taking people's lives. 
the economy is going to get worse before it gets better. But in the same process, we must unite to get what we deserve and what is right. People need to understand our work as healthcare providers and what we need in our communities as black and brown people because things are getting worse and they're definitely not getting better. Despite worsening conditions, Kim says she has hope for the future. What keeps me going is because I know that God is going to make things better for people, all people. When a person asks me, who am I? I would say, my name is Kimberly Smith. I'm a child of God first. I am a gay black woman. I am a mother, a sister, and a grandmother. My mother taught me about God. So I know that Proverbs 31, specifically states that we are to speak for people who cannot speak for themselves. In the Christian Bible, Proverbs 31st chapter, verses 8 through 9 reads, Open your mouth for the dumb, for the rights of all who are left desolate. Open your mouth, judge righteously, maintain the rights of the poor and needy. Hey, good and you? Looks like something's wrong oh, since yeah. I've seen you last. Thank you, Mm-hmm. Change for the better. I actually love what I do when it comes to my work. I like caring for people. I like the thought of if anything I do, if it's the most minute thing, would help give that person their independence back, that's a good thing. I'm Judith McRae with Hope from the Front Lines. Thank you for joining Hope from the Front Lines. Our series is produced by Juneteenth Productions with funding support from the McCormick Foundation. Join us next week for another story of struggle, passion, and strength from essential caregivers of color protecting Chicago's most vulnerable during this COVID-19 pandemic. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are available. Do you have a story to share? Join us in the ongoing conversation on our Facebook page, Hope from the Front Lines.